Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, coming to you via Zoom from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week, we'll bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Today, we continue our look at inclusion on stage and screen, and we'll shortly be joined by actor and entrepreneur Sarah Summers, who will share her Hollywood journey and work and her work as a body positivity activist. Uh, but first, we wanted to catch you up on a few local holiday events. Back on November 13th, we had the pleasure of interviewing local artist, instructor, and video producer Scott Breitbarth about his upcoming virtual production of The Nutcracker at Bainbridge Ballet. There are a few shows that signify the holiday season like The Nutcracker, and today, December 18th, beginning at 7 p.m., you can take part in this Christmas favorite on Vimeo by purchasing a 24-hour rental or online download to watch anytime. The creativity and work that went into bringing this production to life during quarantine is truly inspiring, and we encourage you to all support Bainbridge Ballet and the talented dancers and artists behind this modern fairy tale. Those of you who have been following us uh, since the beginning will know that we're big fans and supporters of the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton, Washington, another jewel in the local entertainment community that's been shuttered due to COVID. Even with their doors closed, the good people at the Roxy and Faraway Entertainment are hosting a gift warmth hat drive next week. Uh, Drop-off times are uh, December 22nd and 23rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at 270 4th Street in downtown Bremerton. Uh, Beanie-style warm hats are appreciated, and uh, they're going to be dispersed to various charitable organizations. So for more information, you can call 206-794-6422. Again, that's 206-794-6422, and we appreciate your support. One of the things that Matt and I have really enjoyed about hosting this podcast is supporting the local performing arts community and growing our circle of friends around the county and the world. Today, we're pleased to welcome Sarah Summers to that circle. Sarah Summers is a Southern California native born to a musician, poet, father, and a singer, actress, mother. Performing is in her blood. She started local theater at the age of eight and attended Orange County School of the Arts, graduating with the highest honors in acting and singing from Renaissance High School for the Arts. She went on to study stage theater at Long Beach City College, and throughout her childhood and early 20s, she appeared in over 15 musical or plays and in 2018 launched her television career. Since then, Sarah's appeared in over eight commercials for Disney+, Plus, Blue Land, T-Mobile, and Tuition Monster. Uh, she's also been in three music videos, multiple short films, and is a starring role in the Amazon Prime special Never Been Kissed by Nicole Birch. Recently, Sarah opened her first small business called The Strawberry Bin, where she sells vintage and thrift clothing, sizes 8 to 24, highlighting body positivity. She continues to audition regularly and hopes to land a regular TV role in 2021. Sarah joins us from her home in Long Beach, California. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Great to have you. Uh, so in, in your bio, you mentioned your family. And, and I know personally, uh, we both know your, your uh, mother, Libby, and I've worked with her in a few shows. Matt was scheduled to work with her in a show before COVID hit. So we've, we've asked this question of some of the other guests we've had that come from acting families like yours. So was some, acting something that was a natural thing, or did you at some point uh, see something or, or somebody in your family was involved in and said, Hey, I, I want to get into that. Was it a, I guess a conscious decision or something that just happened organically? 
I'd have to say it's something that happened organically because one of the stories that my dad liked to tell me the most when I was little is that he asked me when I was five years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be famous five years old already knew I want to be famous. I want to be on TV. And he said, well, what kind of famous? I mean, you could be famous for doing something bad. And I said, it's, you know, not something bad, but I just want to be famous. And then I did beg my mom to do uh, pageants when I was younger because there was a pageant store in the mall and I just thought they were all beautiful. And, but it was the early nineties and there was a huge tragedy around pageant star then. So she was like, Oh heck no, you're not going to be in pageants. You can be in theater. So that's when I started doing theater. (laughs) (laughs) Good call on mom's part. Yeah, for sure. It was a good call. So you're a California native and for, for folks that don't live in California, the great state of California, Los Angeles in particular, the prospect of moving there, uh, which seems like the thing you've got to do as an actor, if you want to be an actor, sounds pretty daunting. Now, you've had an opportunities to appear in all kinds of projects, a whole variety. Uh, how do you stay positive in such a competitive atmosphere? And what advice would you give to somebody who feels like is just too big a hill to climb to, to make that jump? So when I started, I didn't start until right after my 30th birthday. And it was right before my 30th birthday, someone that I considered a very close friend to me at my job that I worked at for five and a half years, put in, you know, blood, sweat and tears there. I said, Oh, yeah, you know, when I'm going to be on the big screen, yada, yada. And he said, just give up the dream, Sarah, it's never going to happen for you. And I literally quit the next week. I said, no one's going to tell me what my dream is. Quit the next week. I thank him now, although that was like a very profound moment for me. It was don't let somebody else tell you you can't do something because nine times out of 10, it's because they can't do it themselves. So I think that I was just in the in the right mind frame. Finally, at the age that I was at, I think that if I had been 19 or 20 for me personally, I wouldn't have been emotionally or financially stable enough to try it out because It is, you know, it can be a tough business, but I will say that now I do think it's getting a little bit better in that aspect. It's amazing as I I like to read a lot of biographies of actors and it's amazing how many of them have had that person who says, give it a rest. You're no good. You're not good looking enough. You don't have what it takes. I mean, everybody from Michael Caine to Marlon Brando have those stories and and look what they've done. And, (laughs) you know, Thank you to those people, those <laughs> nameless people in their past yes. that, uh, that, that gave us, uh, us them. Um, it, that it's, it's great to see that even uh, something that someone would take possibly as a negative thing, you've turned into something positive along with all these other great stars and, and worked it into something that is a, a motivator. It is a motivator for me. And that moment, I just knew it. Uh, and I signed up for my first like acting website that night. I had an audition within a week, went to my first audition and I celebrate that day every year. It's been two years, um, like two weeks ago that I did that. So those are just people that are projecting to you because maybe they had a dream like that, or they had a friend of a friend of a friend who tried it and couldn't do it. But you do have to have talent, but you also have to have a great attitude and you have to persevere a hundred percent. Well, you mentioned your attitude. Uh, One just has to look for your social media to see that you're having an amazing time uh, doing this. Thank you. You seem to be be having a lot of fun. And and I think, you know, tying on on the Matt's comment about Hollywood and and that whole scene being daunting Mm -hmm. 
you know, for, for people who haven't been to the area, uh, what do you enjoy about it? What, what, what are the things that really are giving you joy and making you uh, as excited as you, as you seem obviously to be? Well, I am a SoCal native. I'm from Long Beach. So LA scared me too. Okay. I'm only like 30 minutes without traffic, two hours with traffic away (laughs) from Hollywood, but it did scare me too. You know, it's still the big city. There's so many people out there. There's so many dreams, schools, auditions, you know, famous people out there on the daily that I was scared too. But I think what I love about it is a how diverse it is. You will always meet somebody different every time. And when I'm on set, for me, it is really, really cool to meet people that have picked up from, you know, Arkansas or Alabama or something and moved to LA to try and make it. I'm on set with them. So that has been really rewarding for me to meet people from all around, mostly the United States, but a lot from Europe too that picked up and moved here to try it out. And of course, as everyone else says, the weather's amazing, even though I'm freezing <laughs> right now and it's only 65 degrees, so. Yeah, we had some guests on from Orlando, the uh, members of the Running Man Theater Company, and uh, they were just shivering because it was 50. And we thought, <laughs> that that's summer right. for us, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you mentioned Long Beach, you mentioned LA. I'm familiar with uh, the, the northern areas around Burbank and, and some of the studios up there. Where has your work mostly been uh, when you when you've done your commercials and some of your shows? So I was before quarantine and COVID hit, I was in Hollywood a lot because I was actually going to the um, comedy school there on um, Hollywood Boulevard. It's a super famous and everybody went there from Bill Murray to Tina Fey, everybody. It's so amazing. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't take another semester because I didn't want to do it over Zoom. So yeah, that was gush, heart-wrenching for me. But Hollywood, I've been to Burbank a few times too. I loved going to Burbank. That's where I actually had the Disney Plus commercial audition and went to film out there for Disney Plus and a lot in North Hollywood, which was really far for me. So some observations that you've seen uh, as far as Hollywood during COVID, during the quarantine, we're obviously on Zoom and you, you, you mentioned that you didn't want to take classes on Zoom. It's, it is an impediment to certain things. Um, from, from outside looking in, it seems like on the one hand, everything came to a sudden halt, but on the other hand, you still see that things are being made. You see Amazon originals coming out, Netflix originals coming out, uh, feature films that are, that are hitting, not the big screen, but are kind of waiting in the wings. These things are obviously happening somehow. What is in your experience? What have you seen that we may, may not see as consumers that are going on in the business? Well, right now, what I'm seeing is a lot of creativity to figure out how to get something out there with either green screen or small audiences, a ton of film at home and real families. So they're always looking for real couples, real families, real people in the same bubble that way. And being on set, it is extremely safe. I've taken four COVID tests in less than two weeks to be working right now. And I take them right when I get to set and everybody's, you only take your mask off for whenever you're filming the small portion. But even then, right when you're done, you're like, put the mask back on. So, I mean, forget makeup looking good right now, but hey, you know, got to stay safe. (laughs) Oh, for sure. 
<laughs> yeah, we we spoke with uh, like we mentioned at the opening of the show. We spoke to Scott Breitbarth up at Bainbridge Ballet, and they found uh, not only a way to do the Nutcracker with green screening, but they also found ways to just incorporate the masks, some of it with wardrobe, um, to make that just part of the show. Uh, so it's I nice love to that. hear that that type of you know that 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 has not been an impediment for for your work. Uh, for your livelihood and that and that's something Greg and I also talk about a lot is not only things like Zoom or or you know video from home but what people are doing to make the best of all this definitely yeah. and you know speaking of that uh you mentioned earlier Quarren Singh so uh remember that's one thing that you you started up um during the quarantine where you invited you know yeah. your friends to join a live stream mm-hmm. to sing and raise some money including our associate producer Quinn uh, I so, remember. <laughs> so, how did, so how did that idea come about and, and how were you able to help your charities? The idea came about, it was honestly, I think I started the first couple of weeks of quarantine and I was on a live because, you know, we were all manic and freaking out then and I was cooking soup and I'm not a cook by any means, but somehow I was talking about it and I was singing and then I was like, maybe I should do a live karaoke. And then everyone kept commenting like, wait, what do you mean? Like, let's do that. And so I was like, okay, called my mom up because my mom had a karaoke business for 15 years. That's how she supported us when I was a child. That was my first job. So, you know, called her up, asked her her opinion, although it was kind of hard for her to figure out the um, technology stuff (laughs) now, you know, but she got better as it went on. She got a little stand and everything. But it went on for 12 weeks after the first one was so well received. And I was just receiving donations because I said, you know, if anyone wants to put a donation up, I'm going to split it between all the people that are singing right now. Because it was most of my friends that had lost their job in either the industry or in restaurant business. And no unemployment was in yet. Everybody was waiting. It was a crazy time. And then it was so popular that I decided to do it every Sunday. We did 12 different themes, um, raised over $1,000, probably more like $1,500. The most we raised in one show was $500 for my high school. That was the Disney theme one. And then, yeah, we raised um, money for the LGBTQIA Center. We raised money for um, Make-A-Wish Foundation and for my high school, like I said. And then all the money was not really given. I didn't take it. I just split it between whoever sang that day had lost their job. That's, that's awesome. And uh, actually in the future, uh, let's see our future show, the 8th of January, we're going to be talking to uh, Jason Kint from uh, a representative from the actors fund, uh, an organization, national organization that's doing uh, charitable work for out of work actors uh, on Broadway and elsewhere. So it's really amazing to see grassroots types of things like that happening as well. And, and the community taking care of itself. Yeah, that sounds amazing. You're our first working LA actor oh. <laughs> on the show. Please, please. So I'm so t- fancy. Tell, tell us. Yeah, Greg and I, you know, we're we're just lowly community theater actors here. What oh, come does, on. What does a day on the set look like? Give us mm-hmm. the whole rundown. So I guess I'll just tell you about how it is with COVID right now, because it is a little different than it was before. And who knows when it'll change back to the before. So a day on set starts before you go to set, actually. It starts five days before if you get cast that um, early. Sometimes you get cast the night before and you have to be somewhere the next day at 4 a.m. And you're like, okay, I got to go to bed. So 
I get tested five days before I'm on set. Then when I arrive to set, I get rapid tested and then I wait for my results. And then I eat breakfast there because I always like to eat their breakfast instead of spending my own money. And (laughs) (laughs) another perk. Yes. And then I will go to wardrobe and I usually have to bring my own wardrobe because someone that is um, plus size like myself, a lot of times they don't have a lot of options that I care for a or B, they just don't have it in their stock for people as tall as me or my size. And I'm a size 16. So I can't even imagine what it's like for all of my other friends and family that are size 20 to 28. Um, It must be hard, but that's why I got to bring a lot of clothes and options. So go to wardrobe, get that checked. Then I'll go into hair and makeup. That's my favorite part of the day because I just get to sit in the chair and close my eyes. And I always come become best friends with the makeup and hair artists <laughs> always. Then I'll go and I'll eat some snacks again. And then I'll wait yeah, for a long time. I assume that there's a lot of dead time, a lot of standing around. Is that the most challenging part? You know, <laughs> just kind of it, the waiting around. It's waiting around, but also when you're waiting around, you have to make sure that your makeup stays the same, that your hair stays the same, that your outfit stays the same, that you're not. It's that one time that you decide to use the restroom or make a phone call that that's when they're going to need you as of well. <laughs> so it's like always that time. But uh, there's, there are other times on set though, where you are literally standing, doing the scene over and over and over and over and over again. Um, that's mainly more for uh, theatrical type of work uh, rather than commercial work. So commercial work is usually done pretty fast, actually, depending on the shots, but you're still there for 15 hours. I am always so grateful to be there. There have been times too where I've been cast as an extra and I've been there all day and they didn't even use me. But I'm still grateful to be there. They always feed you two to three meals, tons of snacks a day, have you go home with it. So for people that are younger and that move here and stuff, being on set is really a part of their livelihood in that aspect too, where that's sometimes where they get all their meals. So I don't know if that was as glamorous as you guys thought hey, it was going to well, be. But. You, know, you know what? It sounds good. And it's, it's, you know, you're doing it, uh, you know, for any performer, every performer, I think has that, that dream, that aspiration of making it big someday. And, yes. and just the, the, just being on set, being part of, of, you know, the action down there has got to be pretty darn fulfilling. It is extremely fulfilling. Um, I'm just so grateful every single time I'm there. That's where I like to share while I'm there and share everything because I just want to tell all my friends and family that have always wanted to do it, that you can do it too. You just have to do the work. You have to do the work to get there. And it's not just all the work that has prepared you for it, like the 15 plus musicals and plays I did growing up. It's mm-hmm. it's the work on the computer and waiting around and getting rejected hundreds and hundreds of times that's the work that i'm talking about so i love the fact that you were willing to admit that you you started after your 30th birthday um and and for some people would you know, consider that at, at later in life um arguably a lot of the greatest actors uh, of our time have started later in life and we spoke with uh doug fall recently a seattle actor and the host of augmented actor on youtube and he said that one of the most recent or the most frequent questions he gets, especially from younger folks, and I can attest to this because my at the time 11 year old daughter asked me the same question, am I too old? 
And, and of course I had to chuckle a little bit. She's thinking you got to start <laughs> oh at six years old, like, you know, like Daniel Radcliffe and <laughs> did for Harry Potter. And I said, honey, no, <laughs> if yeah. anything, the fact that you're interested <laughs> now is, you know, is good. But so, so what are your thoughts on people who might be having that same question? You know, am I too, am I too old? Is it too, has life passed me by or is this something that I can still aspire to? I have a lot of different feelings about this question, actually, because I definitely asked myself that when I was younger. I was always wishing, especially going into performing arts high school in Orange County, I was one of the kids that got in like for free. There were kids that were on TV shows, Disney TV shows, uh, you know, Drake and Josh and stuff like that. They all went to my school. And I was always like, why didn't my parents put me in when I was younger? And why didn't they do this? You know, when I was being angsty, <laughs> but I am so thankful that I started when I did, because in my early twenties, when I could have started on my own, when I said, Oh, this is the year I'm going to Hollywood. This is the year I'm going to Hollywood. There is no way I would have been emotionally stable to handle something like that. I just think I would have gotten in the wrong hands, been in the wrong type of film. Who knows what could happen because I didn't have a stable uh, head on my shoulders where with my body and my mind and who was helping me and, you know, partying and all those types of things that you can very much fall into in especially Hollywood. So I don't think you're ever too old to start. And you don't have to be pretty to act. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to be skinny because they need all different types of people. Look at freaking Danny DeVito. He's one of the most famous actors <laughs> in the world. Amen. Like, come on. And Jane Lynch, she didn't start until she was 35 years old. I've and heard Alan was, Rickman was 37. Yes. And they are, uh, Jane Lynch is like my inspiration for that because she is also extremely tall, very character-like. And she started and, you know, and then she had Glee and is in every single movie that you see, you realize she's in it. And that's the type of actor I want to be in. A lot of people are like, wait, I know that person. Who is that person? They're in everything, but I don't quite know exactly mm -hmm. who they are. The that's working the actor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, not, that not, is the actor I want to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention to really be a versatile actor, you need to have this life experience. Right. And if you're in that Hollywood bubble, uh, where you're not, you know, experienced in what, you know, we would all call the real world, you're not going to have as much of that to pull from. And I would imagine that is um, part, just part of your toolkit that it's, it's going to be beneficial to have. That's a really great point. Yeah, that's a really good, great, great point, because you do have to take from real life experiences when you're honing in on something and really trying to get there. And especially if you're playing a certain type of character, you want to, you know, usually kind of base it off of people that you know, and kind of put your own spin on it. That's what I like to do. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, so you've done both film and stage acting. Uh, I would have, I'm, I'm thinking, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which of the two do you prefer? I don't think you actually know the answer. I actually <laughs> do prefer stage acting to okay. be honest. I'm wrong. That <laughs> means I need to take another drink. I'm wrong. <laughs> So the reason being, and I'll tell you why, I, I, I love being on set. I love working as an actor on film. I prefer to work as an actor on film, but for fun and with like the, um, you know, the camaraderie part of it, I do love theater because there is nothing like live claps from an, a full house, not like a house of 10 that I have performed to before, but 
a full house clap is just incredible because you can see everybody's faces and really be like, wow, I just did that. But it is very, very hard to make it as a theater actor if you want to get paid. The only real way to see it is Broadway and you have to be a fantabulous dancer to do lots of things on Broadway. You have to be an impeccable singer. You have to put your body through so much to do seven nights a week at Broadway. And that is just something I don't think that I was built for or could do. So I do love film, but it did take me a long time to get into it because I'm classically trained in theater. So I have a soft spot for it. So tell us a little bit about how the process starts when you get a role, whether it's a commercial or a, uh, a TV or movie spot, um, or, or I guess, suppose even theater, how do you find out about auditions? Do you have an agent? And then kind of just, could you describe how the process goes from there? So for me to land a role on all these different platforms, um, I'll just start with the TV film. The main thing before you do anything is you need to have killer headshots. I will say that that is the most important tool for you as an actor is to have incredible headshots. I have just one profile now. I had three before, but they have different acting profiles and you could even get one in Washington and Seattle. They have them for different areas. Mine is LA casting. And that is where I have booked pretty much everything that I've gotten. And I feel very fortunate because people just say that is crazy, that that does not happen for people. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the headshots. I, I guess they stand out in a crowd. I'm very excited about that. But what I'll do every single day, I spend at least an hour on my phone in the morning submitting to casting calls. So instead of going to casting calls, like probably how it was, you know, in the early 90s or the 80s or the 70s, like, you know, dance 10 looks three type of thing, you will submit online, which is great because you could submit to so many things. But out of those hundred submissions, maybe I'll get one to two auditions a week. You have to be very consistent with it. So the first process is headshots. And then every day I'm submitting online for hours. And then I feel annoying because I'm always on my phone. Because if you get a call from somebody, you have to be available. You have to be at their beck and call. Because if you don't answer, there's going to be 10 people just like you wanting to answer as well. And then for, for yeah, after the audition period, how long does it usually take before you find? First of all, do you find out? Um, if you don't get the role or if you get the role or only if you get the role? Only if you get the role in my experience. I have never really been told if I didn't get the role, but then sometimes I don't think I get the role. And then I get a call a month later and they're like, Hey, you got the role. And I just totally forgot about it. They'll do something, what they call a veil. That is what we call in Hollywood. Um, a very, some jargon for you. So avail means they'll call you and they'll ask you to be on avail, which means that you need to save the date. Essentially, it does not mean you're booked, but nine times out of 10, you are booked. But there has been times where I was on avail and I did not get booked. Generally, that happens when they're on a Friday and they want to cast you. The casting directors want to cast you, but the producers always have the final say. So you have to go through everybody before you are cast essentially. And usually it's a phone, it's a phone call or an email. So email asking for a veil, and then sometimes they'll call you, but most of the time it's an email 
and just a lot of emails. So you just always have to be on your phone. Can we take a quick step back? I'd like to get your take on what makes a headshot amazing. Um, I've seen your headshots. I've seen your social media. You have a lovely face. You have an animated (laughs) face. So what makes a headshot? I mean, obviously you don't want to be taken in your bathroom with your, with your cell phone. Um, What makes a great headshot? I would say good lighting is the number one thing. You got to have great lighting um, for people just don't wear too, too much makeup either. That is something I learned from long, long time ago. And I will always keep that. You want to look like yourself. You want to look like yourself. People think now with, you know, face tune and filters and everything, they want to look like Kim Kardashian or like a beauty queen or something. And that is not what people want to see when they're casting. If you're modeling, maybe, but if you're acting, they want to see what you really look like. Because if you have a airbrush faced and then you come in and you got wrinkles, they're going to be real mad. They're going to be real, (laughs) real mad. So that is number one. Definitely find a color that brings out your eyes and don't be afraid to be silly on your headshots. You need to take chances. It's not just smiling. It's making a goofy face, looking up to the left, looking up to the right, really just being comfortable in front of the camera as if you were just taking selfies at home and trying it a bunch of times. So get comfortable with your face, do some silly things in the mirror, know know what looks good for your face and just try different things. Yeah, and, and find Matt, a good photographer. <laughs> <laughs> well, to Matt's point, you know, you look at your the the headshots that you've posted, and it it exudes that energy that we've talked about, that kind of positivity, and Aww. and it's no surprise to us that you've you've gotten the roles that you have. So I appreciate it. It's amazing Very you sweet. can look at a you can look <laughs> at a a still photograph of someone and and laugh. Uh, and not at them, but with them, because like, yeah. like, like your photos, it, they're so animated. There's oh. so much in your, you know, the smile or the look the the funny, the funny take that you really do get a good uh, impression of like what you're capable of. And I suppose that's part of it is you want to give them not only an accurate portrayal of who you are physically, but also what you're capable of, the emotions you're, you're capable of expressing. Exactly. And that is what is most important? I was just going to say, if you're dead behind the eyes, they are going to tell. When these casting directors are looking at photos, they're looking at a thumbnail. They're looking at a tiny little thumbnail, like how I look right now on the mm. Zoom. That's what they're looking at. So in that tiny little pocket, you need to impress them. And I'm going to tell you guys a secret. I do not actually have a reel up on my page. I just have photos. Everything I've booked is literally from photos and auditions. I don't have a, I don't have an acting reel. I don't know why. I guess I'm a terrible actor for that, but <laughs> it's never perfect. So I guess I just keep waiting. So, and I don't have an agent. I self-submit everything right now. I, I am looking to get an agent in January. That's my goal is to be represented by an agency. Cause right now it's just getting to be a little bit too much work at this time to keep answering all the emails and going back and forth and mainly making sure I get my money on time. So, so what would you say is the funnest project that you've done to date? What's been the most enjoyable for you or maybe the most rewarding would be a good way to ask that question as well. So I'm going to have to pick two most rewarding things that I did and I'll be quick with it. I swear. So the first one was the first big gig I ever I ever booked. It was called Tuition Monster. It was a credit card company. It wasn't a national commercial. It was a regional commercial, but 
when I went in for it, I auditioned for just a side part. And then when they called me, it turned out I got the lead. So I got FaceTime. And that was incredible. When they told me, they said, oh, you auditioned for this, but we actually want you for a bigger part. I was like, wait, what? And it was the first commercial I ever did. I was the first time eating catering, first time eating craft services, first time getting my makeup done on set. I was just like, I was probably feeling how you guys were saying earlier about like, tell us about Hollywood. That's how I was feeling that day. I was just feeling like I was going to the Oscars or something. (laughs) And I met a really, really good friend on set. She's like a mentor to me. Her name's Fire. Hey, girl. And um, I'll just always cherish that day. It was a 15 hour day on set. So imagine spending 15 hours with someone you just met. If you guys click, you're going to get pretty close by the end of it by 15 hours. And then the second one is definitely the Amazon prime short film. I did. I didn't know how much that movie was going to change my life until afterwards, but I basically found a mentee. Um, His name is Naya and he is incredible. I call him like my little protege. He's been on corn sing a few times. He has the most incredible voice. And it was the first time I ever worked with children on set. And it was just me and two kids in the cast. And that was it. And I just could not believe how incredibly professional they were, how incredibly poised and kind and innovative and creative these kids were. And I was just in awe of all of their talent. So those are the two. I think the first thing I saw you in was the Disney Plus ad. Yes. I mean, of course, I loved the Disney Plus ad, too. Like, (laughs) there's just too many things. (laughs) I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the Credit Monster one or the the, uh, the, not Credit Monster. uh, Tuition Monster. Tuition Monster. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. As as the hairstylist. (laughs) Again, yes. One one the, the same emotion and and, uh, the, the, the character I saw in a lot of your headshots was the one that I saw in that. Yeah. That one was that one was life changing for sure. Disney was life changing, too, because it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm working for Disney. Like, I can't. Oh, my gosh. Um, But I've I have not even seen those commercials. Everybody sees them all the time. I've seen them maybe once or (laughs) twice. And they're like, hey, you're on TV again. I'm like, must be nice. Send it to me. So you mentioned you mentioned in your bio looking to get a regular uh, role in a TV show in the next in the next year. Awesome goal. And we wish you the best of luck on that. And and we well deserved when you do. Uh, not Thank if you we're, we're so much. When. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so if uh, the phone call, so if we look at film or TV, if some if the phone rang and somebody called you and said, we've got the perfect role for you and it was the perfect role, what would that role be? What would your perfect role be? If I got a phone call today and they asked me for my perfect role and I got the perfect role, it would definitely be a lead supporting character on a sitcom, on a primetime sitcom. That's it. Those are people that work all the time. Those are people that everybody watches reruns of Friends. Everybody watches reruns of Seinfeld. Everybody watches reruns of The Simpsons. Everybody watches reruns of all these types of shows that are are funny. And even before that, you know, the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, I Love Lucy is still playing all the time. So it's shows like that that are timeless and really bring comedy to a family as well in prime time, though. I would love to be on a comedic sitcom TV show that but one that lasts, you know, because I know there's a lot of them. And then it would be cool to also be on kind of like a gritty HBO comedy drama like Shameless. That's also kind of my style right there, too. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) 
All right, well, thanks, thanks, uh, Sarah. That wraps up our questions. Uh, we're gonna be back in a minute with our In The Mix segment, and you're gonna stick around because we've got something that I know that's near and dear to your heart to talk about. And then uh, later on the show, we're gonna do our usual rapid fire curtain call segment with you as well. So- Ooh, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> if you could stick around, uh, we'll be right back for our In The Mix segment. We'll come back on Heilman and Haver. Welcome back to Heilman and Haver. Today is December 18th, the birthday of Betty Grable, Steven Spielberg, and Brad Pitt, and the Ooh. 57th anniversary of the debut of The Pink Panther, directed by Blake Edwards, and starring two of my favorite actors, Peter Sellers and David Niven, and of course featuring the timeless theme music of Henry Mancini. Speaking of pink, if you visit the Instagram profile of our guest, Sarah Summers, you'll see a lot of pink. Uh, a lot of bold colors and recently a lot of strawberry. So Ooh. something tells me our resident mixologist, Mr. Heilman, has a strawberry concoction up his sleeve. Take it away, sir. Well, as you all might have noticed with the pandemic, we've switched things around a little, moving our in the mix segments to YouTube. Hopefully you've had the chance to go out and watch one of our segments, especially the most recent one where Matt and I discuss inclusion and diversity in film talk about our top five inclusive films, and share some drinks related to our number ones. And keep an eye out next Wednesday, December 23rd, when we follow up our upcoming interview with author Jeremy Arnold and talk about our favorite Christmas films and share some festive cocktails. That said, we've never been known to pass up an opportunity to mix a drink in the name of art. So in honor <laughs> of our guest, Sarah Summers, and her new venture, The Strawberry Bin, we've mixed up simple strawberry vodka tonics. Yum. And if we were in person, we would be able to share but unfortunately with zoom it's all kind of i know they're delicious take our word for it and i make a killer <laughs> strawberry lemonade shot so that would be happening too oh will you please send us that recipe and we will yes post it. if i can remember it i've made them every time with a few of them in me so we'll see yeah by the time you've had a few you forget <laughs> how you made them <laughs> yes and then they don't they still taste just as good though of course <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about the strawberry bin, uh, what it is, and uh, what made you decide to become an entrepreneur on top of everything else you're doing and accomplishing. Now add entrepreneur and, and I guess activist also to that, uh, to that title. Yes. So activists, I'd like to say I've been for a long time and um, just kind of grew up that way with my parents and who they are and my family and what they stand for. I feel very grateful to have been always on the you know, correct side of history. Um, fighting for everyone we love and others and everything like that. But the strawberry bin is actually an online mid to plus size vintage and thrift store. So what I'm doing right now is I'm selling through Instagram of all the clothes I have curated over the years. I actually have a vault of vintage clothes I've been holding since high school. And I um, hired beautiful models ranging from sizes eight to 24, all different um, ethnicities, uh, sizes, heights, races, and, um, you know, weights and everything just to be extremely inclusive. It is a self, a safe space for LGBTQ community and for body positivity alike. I decided to start it on top of everything right now. I don't even know how it landed on the craziest week of my life last week because I filmed for three days last week on a huge commercial on top of producing two photo shoots for myself and also having two 
auditions as well. Actually, three auditions. I forgot I had one on Sunday. So three auditions on top of that. I basically saw a lot of people doing it. I saw a lot of people doing it on Instagram. It's something that I've always talked about. One of my friends from high school actually reminded me of how I talked about doing it when we were in high school, shopping at a thrift store together. I said, I want to do this. I, I want to do this someday. People are always getting on you, <clears throat> excuse me, for sustainable fashion. Well, sustainable fashion isn't really achievable for most plus size people because they make a lot of plus size clothing out of cheap fabric stuff that comes from overseas. And then on top of being body shamed for your body, people want to shame you for your clothing because you're buying it from mass production, but there's really nowhere else you can get it. Hmm. I know that a lot of people that are in mid to plus size bodies get really frustrated while thrifting, feeling like they can't find anything, but I have the eye for it. I, I have the eye for dressing my friends and my family. So I just wanted to bring a place where they could shop safely and have fun with it. And it was extremely well received. I had my first launch last week and I sold 18 pieces out of 27 that I put on this shop, which is like such a big deal for vintage to thrift. Sometimes people don't even sell 18 pieces with months of having it up there. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so you're, so you're, Obviously, in Hollywood, Hollywood has been notorious for its lack of body positivity. And this is something, body positivity, that obviously you're a big proponent of. Uh, what are you seeing in the landscape these days in Hollywood? Are things changing? I would say that they are changing for sure, but there's still a lot of change to be had. So one of the first things I did was I did a underwear and bra campaign for a body positivity bra and underwear company called third love. And I was in the New York times on a print ad. And that was huge for me because that was like one of the first things I did. And I just couldn't believe that they wanted my body at this time. Um, in my early twenties, I actually struggled with anorexia very severely. So I overcame that and to be in a print ad at who I am now and loving who I am is such an incredible piece of my story, but it still has a lot of work to be done. For instance, I was on set a few weeks ago at a size 16, which is not even, it's not plus size to me, but it's plus size for Hollywood. I was still the largest sized person on set in, in the commercial. Now I'm so grateful I was in the commercial, but I'm looking around and I'm like, oh wow, everybody's like a size two, size four. Okay, so I am like their token plus size person for this to be inclusive, I see now. What I wanna see more of in the future for that is plus size bodies just being regular characters and not having to have something surround them and talk about their bodies. I actually just talked to my friend, Natasha, who did my headshots, who is also a plus size woman. And she was saying, I just want to see a show that has this, where it could just be, you don't have to talk about it. They're just living because that's how it is for us. We're not just talking about it all the time. We're just living, you know? So I do get ads all the time that say aspirational and aspirational is Hollywood's term for saying skinny. And the things I swear, I should send you some of the casting calls sometimes because some of them can be absolutely ridiculous. They can be absolutely ridiculous. They're like 
six foot, 120 pounds, but you know, we want, um, a 36 inch bust. I'm like, what are you talking about? These people are not existing. You guys yeah. are asking for Barbie not nature. <laughs> not, which, you guys are literally asking for life-size Barbie. Okay. So sometimes that can get a little discouraging there when it says like active people, because I'm an active person. I walk every day. I walk my dogs. I walk my nephew. Um, cause I nanny him right now on top of everything. And, uh, I walk him like four miles a day. So I feel like I'm active, but I would never, ever submit to something like that. That says active. It's been interesting because as we've, we've spoken to more people, we start hearing more stories like this and it's not always what you would expect. Um, we mentioned Doug fall from Seattle mm -hmm. that we spoke with and unbeknownst to us, he's six, five. And he explained how his height um, has actually worked against him in casting. They say that, you know, taller men are more successful. And he said, not necessarily when it comes to casting, when it comes to being an actor. Um, are you, in your experience, are there any roles that you think demand, we asked him this question too, roles that demand a certain body type to remain true to the character, the way that it was written? So yes and no. Yes, because if you're thinking about period pieces or if you're portraying a certain person in history, then yeah, you kind of have to have a certain body type if you're trying to look like that person in history, right? But as far as character stuff, I think that the rules can be bent a little bit more. But with the standards that have been put in there, especially with Western you know, looks and body types, it's going to be pretty hard to break the mold, but I think that it's starting because I am seeing a lot more inclusive casting and things where I am still so excited because before I, when I was, you know, struggling with my eating disorder, I still thought that I was way too giant to be an actor. And I had to lose five more pounds. I had to lose five more pounds. I had to lose five more pounds and I never started. And here I am technically the, you know, biggest size, I guess that I've ever been. And I'm, I'm crushing it. So, well, I think that you're an inspiration to a lot of people who are listening and who are asking those questions, not only about, you know, am I too old? Am I the right body type? It, you know, is it worth taking that chance? Can I juggle a real life with acting? So you've spoken to an awful lot of, of different aspects and, um, and hopefully someone out there listening is drawing some inspiration from you. If you want more inspiration from Sarah, um, by all means, check out her Instagram at Sarah CC Summers and on Facebook at, at Sarah CC Summers. And of course, get online and check out her online offerings of thrift and vintage finds uh, for, again, mid to plus size humans yes. on Instagram <laughs> at The Strawberry Bin. Uh, she's all over the place, so you're, you, you'll find her easily. Um, we're going to come back in a few minutes and ask some fun questions. But Sarah, this is a serious topic and we appreciate your your take on these things. And uh, it's been Thank you. It's, it's been enlightening for us. So uh, coming up next, we're going to have our curtain call segment. A few more fun questions for our guest, Sarah Summers. And uh, we'll be wrapping up Heilman and Haver. We appreciate you listening. We will be right back. Welcome back to Heilman and Haver. Christmas is one week away, and today marks the anniversary of two landmark holiday events. 1966, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas aired for the first time on CBS, and in 1984, A Christmas Carol, directed by Clive Donner, starring George C. Scott, premiered in the U.S. 
Don't forget to join us Monday, December 21st, when we welcome TMC's Jeremy Arnold to discuss his book, Christmas in the Movies, 30 Classics to Celebrate the Season. You can win a copy of Christmas in the Movies and Jeremy's latest release, The Essentials Volume 2, 52 More Must-See Movies and Why They Matter by subscribing to our show wherever fine podcasts are found. Already listen on Spotify? Follow us on YouTube or iTunes uh, for extra chances to win. Sarah Summers has been our guest today, and now it's time for our Curtain Call segment. We usually have three questions we ask every guest, but in honor of the holidays, we'll add one. Sarah, what is your go-to must-watch every year Christmas movie? Oh, Elf, hands down. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. Is there anything else? Honestly, that's like, remember a long time ago, um, trending on Facebook, there was something that we had to pick three people that described who you are. Well, Elf is one of them. I feel like I'm part Elf. <laughs> anything with Bob Newhart, I'm there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, back to the normal questions here. What is the last thing you do before you step out on stage or before the curtain goes up or for in your situation before you before you step out on that uh, on that set before the cameras roll? Honestly, before set, I check my teeth. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> I always make sure I don't have lipstick on my teeth because nine times out of 10, it's a bunch of dudes on crew and they're not going to check that for me. <laughs> so I check my teeth and I, when I am on stage though, when I did theater, which I haven't done in probably, I want to say maybe four years, I haven't been in a stage show. I always dedicate the show to um, one of my loved ones that passed away. That's what I do. Hmm, very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, if you could work, if you had the opportunity to work with one person alive or deceased in history, who would it be and why? There's so many choices. I was not prepared for this question. You could My pick mind. one of each. If you want to pick one of each, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some, we'll give you some slack. Okay. Well, <laughs> I would really love to work with Lucille Ball. Um, she's uh, obviously yeah. for anybody that's a comedy queen. She is just so she she set the bar she's just absolutely incredible and someone else i would really love to work with is um honestly tina fey too because she just on snl and you know she went to the improv school that i was going to and i just think she has such a great dry humor and she is um, a comedic genius to me and she just seems really chill too yeah, a couple of trailblazers there for sure. Yeah, for sure. So here's another one. If someone was going to make your life into a film, mm. two-part two question, we're going to throw another curveball at you. Who would you like to play you? And then okay. who, do you, who do you think would be cast? So who I would like to play me is I would like Jennifer Lawrence to play me. I think she could kind of get that quirky, weird, but also sweet part of me. Um, because I feel like me and her are best friends, even though we haven't met yet, but you know, maybe in the future we will. And then she can listen to this podcast and it's like foreshadowing and who would be cast. I don't know. Maybe they cast me. There's that. Maybe they'd cast me. Maybe it'd be like a self-starring thing. If that's still a thing. Sometimes people do that. I could pull, pull a, um, what's his name? The other, the, the super famous radio star. And he played himself in his Howard Stern. movie. Uh, Howard Stern, yeah. Stern. Private yes. parts. Yes. I <laughs> yeah. love that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again to our guest, Sarah Summers. I uh, really appreciate the time. This is, this has been great. 
you can follow Sarah on Instagram at Sarah CC Summers and on Facebook at, at Sarah CC Summers. And check out her online offerings of thrift and vintage finds for mid to plus size humans on Instagram at The Strawberry Bin. And don't forget, coming up on our next episode, Monday, December 21st, we'll be joined by Turner Classic Movies commentator, author, and film historian Jeremy Arnold to chat about his book, Christmas in the Movies, 30 Classics to Celebrate the Season. Until then, please join the conversation on Facebook and email us with thoughts and comments at heilmanandhaver at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. Don't forget to join us December 21st for an early release of our special Christmas episode with TCM's Jeremy Arnold. And until we're treading the boards together again, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us here on Heilman and Haver.